0: You have a child that's explosive. You know what I mean? The child that falls apart screaming or crying or thrashing when something small goes wrong. If you do, I have a treat for you. My guest is Dr. Ross Green. Dr. Green was on the faculty at Harvard Medical School for over 20 years. He's now founding director of the nonprofit Lives in the Balance which provides a vast array of free web-based resources on the collaborative and proactive solutions model. He's appeared in a wide range of media, including Oprah, Good Morning America, The Morning Show, NPR, The Washington Post, The Chicago Tribune, and the Boston Globe. Dr. Green lectures and consults widely throughout the world and he lives in Portland, Maine. This is a very informative interview and I know you're gonna get a lot out of it. So right now, let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Ross Green. Well, Dr. Green, I've really been looking forward to this uh, show because we're going to be talking about the explosive child and that's particularly close to my heart because I've had a couple in our family daughter and a granddaughter and so I'm really anxious to talk with you about it. So thanks so much for joining me today.
1: My pleasure. What family is complete without an explosive child?
0: Exactly, exactly. So, um, well, good, you know, in The Explosive Child, your book, you hit some really tough behaviors head on and you give that sense to the readers. At least I got this, man, this doctor really knows what's happening in our house. So thank you for that. When you talk about explosive kids, are you talking about kids who have an underlying problem like ADD or ODD or depression, anxiety, or is the spectrum pretty wide? Are you talking about just healthy, regular, run-of-the-mill kids to those with difficulties, or can you define that for us, please?
1: Um, I'm not that picky. Um, You know, Explosive Child was chosen by HarperCollins Publishing or book sale purposes. um, I think that what we're gonna be talking about, the collaborative and proactive solutions model is just as applicable to implosive kids as it is to explosive kids. I've actually never loved the term explosive because explosive actually makes it sound like these kids' difficulties are unpredictable. And the reality is that their difficulties are highly predictable. So I actually am not too picky about what defines explosive. For me, it's any kid who is responding poorly to problems and frustrations. That's it. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's pretty broad. So you're talking about uh, a child, say an eight year t- or ten year old, who just gets very. Upset and very agitated, uh, very easily. You have, um, you know, the your book opens up with the gal who wants a waffle, and her brother comes along and says, "I want the waffle." Um, but they're almost—I don't want to say controlling, but they like to have. There's some kids that just have to have their way, and if. They don't get their way, not because they're spoiled or anything. They just kind of get very, very upset and cry very easily. So you would include kids like that in there, as well as kids who, you know, have all kinds of issues. Um, Talk about when you talk, and I know you don't like the term explosive, but specifically what does that mean? What what can an explosion look like, um, a mild one or a severe one?
1: I don't don't really differentiate. Okay. Mostly because what I do, and this is slightly tongue-in-cheek because these two categories are fake, I do differentiate between what I call lucky and unlucky concerning behaviors. The concerning behaviors are simply the means by which the kid is communicating that there's an expectation they're having difficulty meeting. That's the most important part. So there are lucky ways of doing that and unlucky ways of doing that. Lucky ways of communicating that you're having difficulty meeting certain expectations would include crying, pouting, sulking, withdrawing. Unlucky ways would include screaming, swearing, hitting, spitting, kicking, biting, throwing, destroying, running. The thing to know is that whether the kid's concerning behavior is lucky or unlucky, it is still communicating the exact same thing. There's an expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting. The reason I differentiate between lucky and unlucky is because of how we treat them. Mm. It is the unlucky variety that is more likely to be on the receiving end of our most harsh, punitive, exclusionary discipline, whereas the lucky ones are more likely to elicit our empathy and nurture and support. I don't think it should be that way. Beyond that, lucky and unlucky are fake. But all that says is that there's lots and lots of different ways that kids and other human beings communicate to us that there are certain expectations they're having difficulty meeting. I don't really care how the kid is communicating that because I don't care that much what the kid's behavior is. I care about what expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting because that's what we're focused on in the collaborative and proactive solutions model.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to the parent who said, you know, I really don't have expectations. You know, for instance, my daughter has twins and they're five. And one of them, if you're playing a board game, if she doesn't get away, she pouts and leaves. And then the other one will go, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Playing is fun. So how does she have that sense that she has to win the whole thing? Because I know her parents haven't said, you need to win, you need to win. So talk us through what's going on inside the child's mind.
1: Well, what we've always said is that kids who exhibit concerning behaviors, and what I'm about to say is a research-based statement, are lacking important skills. And the global skills, and this would probably apply in the situation that you just described, are flexibility, adaptability, frustration tolerance, problem solving, emotion regulation. And I think those skills or the lack of them would explain why one child's response to losing is, okay, I'm good with that. Let's move on to the next thing. And another child's response to losing a game would be less desirable. I would say that there is an expectation in place there though. Yes, we could think about what. Dif- what's the difference between those two kids. And the research would tell us skills are the difference between those two kids. But there is an expectation in play there because I'm assuming that the parent of the child, the children that you just described, do have expectations about how they handle losing a game. And they would certainly feel that their expectations are not being met if the kid wasn't just pouting and walking away, but was tipping over the board game, calling people names. um, You know, the unlucky stuff, is what grabs people's attention. Once again, I don't care whether it's lucky or unlucky, we still have a kid who's struggling.
0: Mm-hmm. So is part of this, when you say they lack the skills, is, is part of this just inborn? I mean, is it sort of genetic personality? Um, is it all learned behavior? Is it a combination?
1: Everything's 100% nature and 100% nurture. Yeah. So that settles yeah. the issue. And by the way, good luck figuring out which it is, or what the percentages are in a particular kid. Because let's say the parents are lacking some skills too. I don't know. Does that prove nature or nurture? Now I'm getting a headache. Everything's 100% nurture and 100% nature. All I know is that irrespective of how the kid came by those lagging skills, they have lagging skills.
0: Yeah, doesn't and, matter. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And those skills are lacking in the realms that are crucial to help us human beings deal well with problems and frustrations.
0: So let's walk through, let's walk through, I I think we parents have a pretty good idea of explosive behavior, whether it's a little bit or not or whatever. So walk us through, if you would, how a parent should handle um, a child who's inflexible, who um, is very, very sensitive, who kind of just gets upset very easily. How, How are we supposed to handle that? And does it depend on the age of the child?
1: It doesn't depend very much on the age of the child. The problem solving process is going to be the same. But before we get to the problem solving process, caregivers, whether this is a parent or an educator or a staff member in a therapeutic facility, we need a list of every expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting. The expectations that are causing the kids concerning behavior and in the CPS model we call those unmet expectations unsolved problems. By the way also known as problems that have yet to be solved. Also known as problems that are waiting to be solved. Why are they still causing concerning behaviors? Because they haven't been solved yet. So we need a list of unsolved problems, every expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting. That's done proactively using an instrument um, called the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems that people can find on the website of the nonprofit I founded, Lives in the Balance. Um, And I'm sure you can pass along that web address to your listeners. Um, So now we have our list. We next need to prioritize because if a kid only has one or two unsolved problems, you don't need to prioritize, you just start solving problems. But if a kid has more than one, two, or three, you gotta prioritize, otherwise you're gonna end up trying to work on everything at once and solve nothing at all. So you've gotta to say to yourself, which of these unsolved problems are we gonna start working on first? Which are we gonna to try to solve? And which are we going to put on hold for now? Not because you're giving in, not because you're giving up, but because you're prioritizing. You've concluded you cannot solve them all at once. Now we've arrived at the problem solving process. And in the CPS model, we call that plan B.
0: Mm -hmm. If I could stop you there for a second, are you talking about expectations the child feels they need to meet that they feel or expectations that parents have somehow communicated to them that they put on, where do the expectations come from?
1: In kids, the vast majority of expectations that are causing concerning behavior are expectations that are being placed upon them by adults. But in some instances, they are expectations that the kids themselves are placing upon themselves. Um, I would say that the majority are expectations that adults are placing on the kid, that the kid is having difficulty meeting. And by the way, some examples. Home-based examples would be things like difficulty brushing teeth before going to bed at night, difficulty getting off the Xbox to come to dinner, difficulty getting off the Xbox to participate in any activity that's meaningful in life, difficulty sharing the remote with your brother when you're watching TV together, difficulty eating what mom or dad has made for dinner, Difficulty taking out the trash on Tuesday mornings. These are the unsolved problems that parents deal with every day. The point here is that if you're focused on the concerning behaviors that are being caused by those unsolved problems, the problems will never get solved. But if you're focused on solving the problems, not only do the problems get solved, the behaviors that are associated with those problems subside. So it's a two-for-one sale. And by the way, rewarding and punishing solves no problems. Rewarding and punishing, timeouts, stickers, you name it, those are not problem-solving strategies. Those are behavior modification strategies. And our mentality in this model is, why would you only be satisfied with the behavior improving if the problem that's causing it remains unsolved when you could instead be busy solving the problems and both knock out the problem and the concerning behavior that goes along with it. So, the problem-solving process is three steps, and this is done proactively. You've, You've identified the unsolved problem proactively. You've prioritized proactively. We're not gonna solve these problems in the heat of the moment, that defeats the purpose. Three steps. The three steps are called the empathy step, The define adult concern step and the invitation step. The names of the steps don't matter that much. The ingredients matter a lot. Uh, The empathy step is where we are gathering information from the kid about what's making it hard for them to meet a particular expectation. As I'm always saying, the empathy step is where we discover that what we thought was getting in the kid's way is not what's getting in the kid's way. The empathy step is basically saying your number one source of information on what's making it hard for a kid to meet a particular expectation is the kid.
0: Let's be very specific here. I'm thinking about the uh, 12 year old boy who won't give up his Xbox to go to dinner. Mm. So tell us what what is that expectation and kind of work us through the three step
1: Got it. Resolution. Well, we can only go through the first step at the moment because that's the only one we've covered. But here's the first step. Okay. First, we're starting with the wording of the unsolved problem. I've noticed that you've been having difficulty getting off the Xbox to come in for dinner. What's up? That's the beginning of the empathy step. Um, maybe the kid says, um, well, if I came in to dinner, I would lose my level in the game and I don't want to lose my level. Now, what we've articulated in this model is a variety of what we call drilling strategies, probing strategies that are aimed at extracting as much information as possible from the kid so that we can have the clearest possible understanding of what's making it hard for the kid to meet the expectation. So just because the kid says one thing doesn't mean we're done with the empathy step yet. Um, Okay, so one of the reasons you're having difficulty getting off the Xbox to come in for dinner is because you don't wanna lose your level in the game. Is there any other reason you're having difficulty getting off the Xbox to come in for dinner? Well, dinner's at a different time every day, so I never know when dinner's gonna be, so it's really hard for me to plan. You'd continue probing. I don't always like what you made for dinner, so I don't always necessarily wanna come in for dinner. All right, we're getting the information that we need. That's the empathy step. Now we know the concerns, of the kid that would need to be addressed for this problem to be solved. The second step is the define adult concern step. This is where the adult is entering their concern into consideration, mostly related to why do they think it's important that the expectation be met? Why would it be important for an expectation to be met? Either because of how it's affecting the kid or how it's affecting other people and or how it's affecting other people. And that usually comes down to health safety, learning. So what would that step sound like? The thing is, if you have difficulty coming off the Xbox to come in for dinner, um, we don't have the only family time that we would have during the day. And you know, we think it's really important to have family time. It's when we communicate with each other. It's when we connect with each other. It's when I hear about your day. Okay, that step is now done. Third step is the invitation. This is where kid and caregiver are collaborating on a solution. Here's what it sounds like. It starts with, I wonder if there's a way. And what you're doing is wondering if there's a way to address the concerns of both parties. So here's what it would sound like. I wonder if there's a way, and I'm just gonna pick one of the kid's concerns. For us to make sure that you don't lose your level in the game you're playing, that was the kid's concern, and also make sure that we still have our family time so I can hear about your day, and we can be together for at least 20 minutes as a family. You are then giving the kid the first crack at the solution by saying, do you have any ideas? Now, one last thing to mention. First of all, maybe the kid has ideas, maybe the kid doesn't, but it's not the kid's job to solve the problems, y'all's job to solve the problem, because y'all are partners here. If the kid doesn't have any ideas, the adult probably will, but the solution has to meet two criteria it's got to be realistic both parties got to be able to do what they're agreeing to do and it's got to be mutually satisfactory meaning the solution has to address the concerns of both parties here's a solution that i've seen occur well is there a way for you to let me know when dinner's going to start and I won't start a game mm, if I know that dinner is within the next 10 or 15 minutes, and then I won't lose my level, and then I can be at dinner. Now, that's what I would call mutually satisfactory for sure. We'd have to check in with both parties to see if that's realistic, right? But that's a potential solution. Now, you asked about younger kids, and I got to tell you, it's no different. It's the same three steps
0: kids, kids will often explode when you say no, I'm sorry, it's too late, we can't watch that movie and the kid goes off the rails.
1: Right. So you're saying no about something. So it's not the word no, it's an expectation the kid is still having difficulty meeting that you are communicating by saying no. If we went back to the Xbox example, right? If the kid is saying, can I please, please, please finish my level? And you're saying, no, you cannot. It is the exact same unsolved problem that we were talking about, except now you are stuck in the heat of the moment. Now, no has set the kid off. When we knew months ago, years ago, because this is a problem that hasn't been solved yet, that the kid was gonna have difficulty getting off the Xbox to come in for dinner. So by the time you're saying no, you're late. We already knew about that unsolved problem. So it's actually not the word no, it's still an expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting.
0: Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dr. Green. I need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest today is Dr. Ross Green. So even with you know younger kids, because no is a big trigger for a lot of kids. So what you're saying is that before you say that no, if a parent can figure out Um, what the unresolved expectation is, and then they can address it ahead of time. Would that be possible? You know, why is it that you
1: explode when I say no? You wouldn't put it that way. No, you'd figure out what you're saying no about. Mm -hmm. No, you cannot have more time on the Xbox. The unsolved problem, difficulty getting off the Xbox to come in for dinner. No, you cannot bring your phone to bed with you and be on it for hours. Difficulty getting off the electronics to go to sleep at 9 a.m., at 9 p.m. is the unsolved problem. No, let me think of one that would be for a younger kid. No, you cannot have anything you want to eat 10 minutes before we're about to sit down for dinner. That's a no, but the unsolved problem is difficulty refraining from snacking until we eat dinner. Something like that. These are problems that can be solved proactively. If we are waiting for no, then we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we're waiting until we're in the heat of it. The whole point here is to identify the problems proactively and solve them proactively.
0: Mm -hmm. I keep thinking all these examples. I don't wanna, because I really appreciate your principles and what you're doing. I think they can help people wrap their minds around it we think about it you know what about the you know the five or the eight-year-old or whatever because it tends to be those when the big behavior issues that parents are trying to solve come up you know it's time to leave the playground you say let's go we got to leave the playground the kid says no and runs away um or screams and you you feel in that the consequence of you saying no has led them to just do crazy stuff like run away or scream or whatever. So in that moment, do you just ride it out or how do you, how do you handle that until you can come back later and say, you know, what, what was happening? Why didn't you wanna leave the playground or whatever? Well,
1: First of all, this is not the first time the kid has had difficulty leaving the playground. So this is a predictable unsolved problem. See, the minute you, the minute you put me in the heat of the moment, I'm gonna transform it into something proactive because rarely is an unsolved problem a surprise. It's only a surprise the first time a kid has difficulty meeting an expectation. After that, it's not a surprise anymore, right? I'm betting this kid has had difficulty leaving the playground for God knows how long, right? What I wanna know is then why are we stuck in the heat of the moment dealing with it again, right? Why when the kid says, no, I wanna stay longer and you say, no, you can't. The setup is all wrong, right? Once again, we're stuck in the heat of the moment. The unsolved problem is difficulty leaving the playground after 45 minutes, right? Difficulty leaving the playground to go home for dinner. These are unsolved problems that can be solved proactively So it's not no that's setting the kid off because you're not saying no, that problem has already been solved. And that is the most crucial point. Many times parents are telling me what happened in the heat of the moment. All the time I'm saying to them, is that the first time your kid has had difficulty meeting that expectation? No, my kid always has difficulty meeting that expectation. Well then, why are we focused on the word no? Why are we focused on what's happening in the heat of the moment when you've been having this difficulty with your kid for the last six months? We need to solve those problems proactively and of course that begins with identifying those problems proactively Mm
0: -hmm. so you identify the problems figure out you know what's underneath it all and you have empathy for that and then you work out a solution and then where do you go from there do you talk to the child about okay if this comes up again or do you just let it go
1: well, you're looking for a solution that is gonna solve the problem so it doesn't come up again in the first place. You're not looking for a solution for what's gonna happen the next time the problem comes up. You're looking to solve the problem. To solve the problem, first you need to know, this is the empathy step, what's making it hard for the kid to leave the playground after 45 minutes? Then, this is the second step, we need the caregiver to help, us un- to help the kid understand why that's important and then we're coming up with a solution together, but not a solution for what the kid should do the next time they have difficulty leaving the playground, but rather a solution that makes it so that the kid's not having difficulty leaving the playground anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. So when parents come in and say, and I hear this all the time, I'm sure you do too, you know, whenever I ask my child to do something, I tell my child to do something, they just never listen to me. How do you respond when kids never listen to their parents? which means I tell them to do something, they just won't do it.
1: Yeah, my first question, what are you telling them to do that they're not doing? I'm telling him to clear the table after dinner and put the dishes in the dishwasher. Oh, Mm -hmm. so you mean your child's having difficulty clearing the table after dinner and your child is having difficulty putting the dishes in the dishwasher. What I just did is I transformed it into an unsolved problem. Now now we've moved mm-hmm. on, my kid won't listen to me. That's too vague, mm-hmm. right? I don't know mm-hmm. what to do with that. The only thing I know to do with that is to identify these specific expectations that the kid is having difficulty meeting. That's, by the way, encapsulated by the parent giving us this sort of blob of my kid never listens to me. That's never specific enough. What are you hoping your kid will listen to you about? I hope my kid will listen to me when I tell my kid that it's time to come back into the house from playing outside. Oh, your kid's having difficulty coming into the house after playing inside, outside? That's a specific unsolved problem that we can work on proactively. So long as it remains my kid won't listen to me, I got nothing to work on.
0: Mm-hmm. This is a whole new different show, but I'm thinking about kids who are who are a little bit older and have a lot of anger towards their parents. It's legitimate um, or they're hurting and their response to their parents is, you know, no, I'm not going to get off my Xbox and they're and they're nasty. And a lot big part of the unsolved problem is they have a lot of anger towards that parent, but they don't know it. So those are, those are hard to navigate because you need to go a little bit lower than, I know you don't wanna you know, lose where you were in the game. You're really dealing with a kid who just is chronically mad at their parent because their parent's mean.
1: Um, well, um, I find that those are kids who parents haven't been very collaborative with. Those are, par- those are kids whose parents have been very unilateral in dealing with their difficulties, and you know what? That would make all of us pretty angry, but believe it or not, I'm actually not focusing on the anger. I'm still focused on the unsolved problems that are causing conflict between them because if we can get some of those problems solved, I find that the anger starts to come down because we now have a kid who is feeling heard when they have never felt heard They now know that we are not going to impose a solution on them, which enrages them because the solutions that are imposed on them are never mutually satisfactory and don't take their concerns into account. Watch the anger start to subside as we start to engage kids in the process of solving problems in a way that they're heard, the caregiver is heard, and we are coming up with solutions that must address the concerns of both parties seldom am i going after the anger directly i'm just solving problems here and the anger subsides
0: you know what a great prevention as i think for kids who are teenagers who are quote unquote troubled or um you know angry with their parents because i find just what you're saying i mean i don't I'm not smart enough to approach it the way you have. But what I find is that kids, if you can just start to give them a voice and let them contribute and let them say, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I'm not respected. I feel like I'm not heard. I feel like I don't have any decisions. You start to talk about that, it really does alleviate a lot of that hostility that the child might show towards a parent. We don't. We only have a couple minutes left here, but what are the main things that block parents from doing this? Is it they just don't <laughs> know? Is it they just don't like um, their kids not obeying? What are the big blocks for parents?
1: Habit. This is the way it's always been. Some kids do okay when you're parenting them this way. Uh, I have spent my career working with the kids who don't do okay when you're disciplining them this way. I must say that although this model came from my work with kids with concerning behaviors, I would apply this model to any kid. Habit, Um, parents, parent in a certain way, they tend to be focused on behavior rather than the problems that cause the behavior. They tend not to think it's that important to arrive at a solution that's realistic and mutually satisfactory. And they tend to be unaware of the three steps that are involved in solving a problem collaboratively and proactively. The good news is we can do something about that. And uh, shows like yours help us get the word out.
0: Yeah. It's quite a word and it's a a wonderful and very different way of dealing with behavior issues but not behavior issues but problems in kids that need to be solved because i will say as a a mom whose kids are grown and as a grandmother i don't think about that i look at it go man you're being disrespectful to Mm -hmm. your, your mom by you know you know back talking so much and so you tend to just focus on the back talk but the back talk isn't the problem, but the back talk is what makes us so angry that we kind of lose it. And, and when we we're angry, we would just pound, pound, pound on that kid. And you never break the cycle. So Dr. Green, I'm sure you've seen a number of kids who are on the autism spectrum. And if you have a child who's pretty severely autistic and they're explosive, talk to me about how you would approach that child.
1: Well, the first thing I would say is that the autism diagnosis doesn't tell me as much as people might think it should. Um, I still gotta figure out this kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems, no matter what the diagnosis is. Autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder. By the way, I have not noticed that the disorder that a child carries has any influence whatsoever on the effectiveness of this model. We haven't studied it particularly carefully, but that's my anecdotal experience that that is not a major predictor. The diagnosis does not tell me whether this kid is likely or unlikely to respond to this model. But autism doesn't give me the information I need. I need lagging skills and unsolved problems. And by the way, every child meeting diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder is unique. They have a unique profile of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Once I know what the kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are, I frequently find that caregivers start to recognize that the diagnosis wasn't really telling them very much. The key variable here that determines what the model's going to look like, not its success, but what it's gonna look like is not psychiatric disorder, but rather language processing and communication skills. If a kid is non-speaking or very compromised in the language processing realm, we're gonna have to adjust to that because it's not that the child's not communicating, it's just that they're not communicating through our preferred modality, the spoken word. But there are lots and lots of ways to navigate that. Apps, technologies that help us communicate with kids who are non-speaking or very compromised in the language processing realm, that really is the key variable not psychiatric diagnosis.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And um, where can teachers and caregivers and um, babysitters go for information on how to help kids and how to learn this model?
1: Same website, www.livesinthebalance.org. We have a special section for parents. We have a special section for educators. We have a special section for pediatricians and family physicians. Um, That's the hub. They need it, yeah. Some some do. That's the hub of this model, um, that website, and people are just gonna be blown away by all the resources that they're going to find there. There are some books for educators lost at school and Lost and Found are my two books that describe the model for educators. You know what? Before you buy a book, hop on the website, it's free. See how far that gets you before you buy a book.
0: Um, Any final thoughts, Dr. Green? Say we have a, you know, talk to the single mom or the single dad out there who's who's parenting alone and their child's really feeling sort of out of control, doesn't wanna go to school, is acting up at school. Any final words of encouragement for that parent?
1: If what you're doing now isn't working, do something different. This model really is no different, whether it's a single parent or a two-parent home or a school or an inpatient psychiatry unit or a residential facility or a prison. We still need to identify the expectations kids are having difficulty meeting, and we still need to solve those problems collaboratively and proactively. And when people do that and when they stick with it, life tends to go a whole heck of a lot better than would when they stick with what hasn't been working for them all along.
0: Yeah. Perfect. And boy don't we do that. You know and they you know that is the definition of insanity and yet we live it with our kids every day year after year. Dr. Green, thank you so much. Your book The Explosive Child is evergreen. I know it's been out there a long time but it's going to be here for years to come because you know Parents have always had difficulty sort of trying to navigate um, good, healthy relationships with their kids. And so I'm just so grateful you wrote it. And I would encourage everybody who's listening to us to read it. It really is transformational as a parent and how to resolve issues with your kids. So thank you so much.
1: I appreciate those kind words. And that's why I wrote it. Thank
0: you so much again. My pleasure. Well, I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Green. I learned a lot about handling kids and I've been at this for 30 some years, so I hope you did as well. Let's go over my points to ponder. One, ask why your child might be having a tantrum. As Dr. Green says, there's always an unmet expectation beneath the conflict. You want your child to get ready for bed and he says no and throws a fit. You tell your four-year-old to pick up her toys and she cries so hard you think she's going to burst. Beneath each of these fits lies a frustration from a tension or problem that your child isn't capable of solving the way you would. Two, problem-solve rather than focus on the symptoms of the conflict like yelling or crying. When your child explodes, go into problem-solving mode. How can you resolve the issue quickly without simply shutting down their behavior? Can you empathize with your child's feelings and then help come up with a solution? Three, work with your child to find solutions. This works particularly well with older kids. If your child refuses to do his homework and yells when you tell him to do it, ask him why he hates homework so much and what he can do to make homework less painful. Offer him different times to do his work. Perhaps he needs to break up the time he spends on the homework. When the two of you work together to problem solve, the solution works much better. Well, I want to thank my guest Dr. Ross Green today for joining me. You can find out more about Dr. Green when you go to drrossgreen.com. That's dr dot dot ecom You can also follow him at livesinthebalance.org. That's livesinthebalance.org. Now let's recap my three points to ponder one, ask why your child might be having a tantrum. Two, problem solve rather than focus on the symptoms of the issue. And three, work with your child to find solutions. And friends, if you need help or encouragement or answers to any questions about your kids or your relationship with them, go to meekerparenting.com. I have courses, tips, blogs, and more to help you. And if you know a dad who needs encouragement, while you're there, check out my brand new Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. And always remember, friends, great kids are raised, not born.